Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael and I am joined today uh, as usual with these new faculty meetings with Tom. And we are here for faculty meeting 144, which is a revisit of Dungeon Talk episode 5. And Tom just brought to my attention there's a bit of sort of a how would you like a mirror or an echo that when we recorded Dungeon Talk episode five, I had just gotten back from vacation. And this episode, this is the first episode we've recorded since I got back from vacation. So how wild and weird is that? Yes, it is. It was, yeah, you're like, it's, you're back. And I was just, I was like, there's the synchronicity here. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, that's right. Those big words. Okay. Nice. Well, Tom, welcome. How are you, sir? I haven't talked to you in a while. I know, right? You were out having fun and everything i'm out here slaving away in the podcast minds no um no it's things are going well i got to play in person last night so we had started once we everybody has been now vaccine uh had their vaccine for a couple months and uh we played for like a month but then we took like uh, work and life got in the way so then we had to take a break so we just got off a year break. We get back together, and then we have to take a break again. But last <laughs> night, we were back at it. We were playing some Forbidden Lands in person, and it was glorious. Nice. Uh, actually, last night, I was uh, on Detention Live, and my guest was uh, Mark Craddock. Yes. Who, um, I, we've, I realized, runs the game store where I bought my Forbidden Lands box set. Wait. You went to Comic Book World to buy yes. your... I used to when I lived in Cincinnati. I worked at Home Depot. I covered the entire Cincinnati market, so I covered stores all around, including the one in Florence. That's so funny. I wonder if we remember. I think I've said this on a previous. I when I was in college, I worked at Home Depot. I bet we crossed paths. So who knows? Maybe well because I I worked for them. I guess about twelve or thirteen years ago is when I started. I worked for them like seven years. Oh, that's so funny. Well, anyway, um, back to comic book world and yeah. your because I don't know if you mentioned anything to Mark, but yeah, he probably doesn't remember me. But that's where I bought my. He is the person who introduced me to role playing games. So, because I was there just buying comic books, and him being a good salesperson was like, "Hey, you're a nerd. Look at this new <laughs> box set of this game. You should buy it." And I was like, "Oh, sure. This looks cool." So. Nice. Well, uh, he's had a, an influence in both of our lives, That's right. apparently. Uh, but let's take a moment to talk about why we're here. So in these faculty meeting episodes, uh, we're going to have a conversation, and we hope that somewhere in this conversation, we're going to say something that you, the listener, could take back and use at your table to make your games more fun. But we understand, of course, that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you and everyone at your table is having a good time, you're doing it right. I was just going to say, I'll never forget that because uh, in our Zoom call right now, you've got your little background behind there and it's right there in front of me. So Yep, always there because I'm always, always be branding, ABB. Yes. All right. So let's kick off uh, this episode with RPG news. So Tom, what's uh, what's going on you want to talk about? A catacon. I don't know. Um, we're getting to the point where we need to start. We need to start like making some decisions and whatnot. And I, Michael, you've been preparing some statements and press releases and whatnot. So, uh, can you give us any sort of status update? I know everything is so in limbo right now, but what do you got? Yeah. So here is the official announcement. Okay. We are going to have a catacon 2021 this year, November fifth, sixth, and seventh, at the Dayton Convention Center in Dayton, Ohio. 
Yes. At least we're going to try. So, you know, when it hit me, it sort of just hit me that why not just do what we always have done is we're going to have a Kickstarter and enough people show up and support it. We'll have enough money to pay our deposits and then we'll have the event. If not enough people show up, then we won't. Kind of makes a lot of sense when you think of it that way. I think part of that is since the beginning, the very first Catacon, we've always funded, you know, I, I always talk about how nervous I am, but in truth, there really hasn't been an Catacon since that first one we went on Kickstarter where we didn't easily fund. Yep. Right. But this year, because we don't really know how many people are going to come, there's some additional hesitancy and, and, and confusion and mud in the waters, but that's kind of what Kickstarter is for. It's, it's still going to answer the same question. We put the Kickstarter out. We put our goal at what we need to have to make sure we can pay for everything and not, you know, not go in the hole terribly. And then we see if enough people will show up and pledge their money. If they do, then great. And if they don't, well, then we know and we can readjust. Originally, I wanted to launch the Kickstarter on July 1st. So by the time you're hearing this, that will have been four days ago. But basically, we're going to launch a Kickstarter as early in July as we can, based on how quickly I can figure out what the, the hiccup here is. So yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff still up in the air, but we're, we're getting closer. We are getting closer. And then you didn't ask, but I'll just go ahead and tell you quickly, because I know it's not on your list. Action 12 Cinema, I have turned over the second draft to Tracy, so I'm once again hands-off waiting for them to get to it. But it's going to be a while, because they literally just had a baby yesterday, I think. Yeah, I know. Congratulations, Tracy. All right, so, uh, yeah, and Michael, I did have that in the outline, but you didn't wait. So <laughs> I missed it, sorry. Uh, you know, you're good. All right, the next big piece of news is the rise of IP games. All right, licensed IP we had the not an official announcement, but Eddie Webb, the designer of Pugmire and a bunch of other games, uh, tweeted a couple of days ago that they their NDA is now allowing them to say that they are in development of a official Transformers RPG. Oh, that that sound you just heard, that high pitched sound, is Ryan reaching climax screaming absolutely yes. this is his dream but yeah so they have yeah transformers yeah and then the marvel marvel just announced that they're going to be doing an official game matt forbeck is yeah that one and it's going to be in-house which is wild that they're not using another publisher it's going to be a marvel game and obviously it'll be printed through one of their normal publishers and everything but uh since Marvel is doing their own comics distribution now. Um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, yeah. But then also, which is, it's just so, IP stuff is weird. There's also been a lot of talk right now that the Power Rangers RPG is supposed to be launching this year. So mm -hmm. technically, Hasbro owns Watsy. Hasbro also owns Power Rangers and Transformers. Uh, but the Transformers RPG, I don't, nobody knows who's making that it hasn't been announced, but I believe the Power Rangers RPG is going to be done by Renegade. So Overlight, Kids on Bikes, and then they also do all the Power Rangers Hero of the Grid games. I just, it's just, I mean, it's Hasbro being Hasbro where they're like, yeah, we have an RPG company, but we're going to sell these licenses to make more money and have somebody else do the work. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't Hasbro also own Masters of the Universe? I don't know. I don't. I, I thought they did, but maybe, maybe, uh, maybe no. But I know there's a He-Man in the Masters of the Universe game, but it's going to be built on the Cortex 
Prime system. Huh. And Cam Banks, I believe, is, is heading that up. So they're coming out with an IP flavor game, but it's not its own system. It's going to be using Cortex. Yeah, I'm typically not a huge fan of IPs, like IP games. Um, I, I don't know if I'll be into the Marvel game, even though I like comics. Um, but I don't know. It's IP stuff is weird for me. Um, so I, apparently Mattel owns He-Man, not Hasbro. So Gotcha. Never mind. Okay, but same same thing. I mean, we're seeing all these IP stuff. Uh, and so it's just interesting. I mean, Renegade is not... They're a big game company, but just think about, like, they're probably going to be doing Transformers. They're doing Power Rangers. So these kind of small houses with these huge, massive IPs. So it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, there's a part of me, like, again, it will never happen, but... Of course, I've also said that about many things like a catacomb, this podcast, and my game. But if I actually get my game out and I get to say I'm a game designer and I, I have that on my resume, there's a part of me that wants to like maybe just fish around for some IP that's beloved but no one really pays attention to anymore and see if I could like just snatch up the rights for pennies on the dollar and then like try to make a game for that, like Thunder the Barbarian, which is probably too popular, but something along those lines, just something I loved as a kid. Wacky Races, Ooh. the old Hanna-Barbera wa- Wacky Races would be an incredible game to try to turn into an RPG. So something like that, is it just something floating around that I could just like, here's like a thousand dollars, give me the IP and then make a game for it. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be pretty sweet. I, I'm, I'm, I would dig uh, Wacky Racers or Speed Racer of similar mm. lines. That'd be a good one. So lots of IP stuff. So just keep keep your eye open for that kind of yeah. stuff. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's the news right now. So uh, let's take a moment and jump it over to uh, Grant with our DM Spotlight for this week. Hey, all. Grant here with another DM's Guild Spotlight. Today I want to talk to you about a product that I use in both of my ongoing 5e campaigns and one that my players and I really love. It is the Companion System by Chris Goober Ramsley. For $5, and I bought and paid for this by myself, and it is used extensively by my players and me, what you get is a product that takes NPC companions and turns them into an abstraction, something more like a magic item or a long-term buff for a player character. Um, so it's four, I, in my group is like this, uh, a group of players that collects NPC companions as if they were Pokemon. Uh, we're, hey, we're saving the world. Why not come with us and help us out? I, as a DM, uh, find that a compelling argument and allow my players to collect these NPCs, but I don't want NPCs to outshine the players. So this system really allows the players to still remain front and center, even if they are traveling with quite powerful NPCs. Uh, my NPC or my players are currently traveling with a god, for example, and I don't want this god of trickery to outshine my players. So instead, she offers uh, slight buffs to whatever player she is assigned to rather than having her own turn in the initiative order uh, or me as the DM having to run this character in combat, slogging, you know, having it slog and bog down combat uh, with another character to add to the initiative order. So instead, uh, my players pick from a roster of companions that they have collected and are 
able to assign them to various player characters and there's rules set in here for them to basically a companion who's an archer adds like a d4 to ranged attacks it's nothing overpowering it's nothing that will outstrip the player but it feels like a unique bonus that players really like and the characters contribute without quote-unquote contributing to the combat these rules also contain uh special mechanics that improve these companions over time um, such as the inspiration mechanic where if a the player characters have meaningful conversations with these npcs uh, they gain a point of inspiration which allows them to use another one of their abilities uh, outside or inside of combat uh, this allows for the npcs to also feel like they are part of the team uh, by having these meaningful conversations and gives me as a dm something to do with these companions rather than just have them totally fade into the background at all times another element to this system is the loyalty uh box for the npcs kind of like a bioware game uh these npcs will earn loyalty to the group and this is basically if the dm decides yeah, there's a loyalty mission for this NPC. You do something for this NPC and they become loyal to the group, which unlocks yet another uh, another ability for this NPC, uh, which allows them to contribute. Again, more like a magic item or long-term boon for the players so that they are never outstripped by these NPCs. So... I love this product. Like I said, I use it in all of my games um, because my players uh, insist on collecting NPCs. <laughs> and if your players are the same, you will love this product too. The abstraction um, allows for it not to be bogged down by uh, tedious uh, initiative orders or the like. So, link to this product will be available in the show notes. Again, this is The Companion System by Chris Goober Ramsley. And this has been Grant for the RPG Academy with the DM's Guild Spotlight. If you have products on the Guild that you think we should know about, message me or tweet me at the underscore Foxblade on Twitter. Thank you, Grant. As always, appreciate it, buddy. And just a reminder, if anyone were to use our links to check out and then possibly purchase the products that Grant has mentioned on this episode or any of the previous episodes, we do get a small percentage uh, for using our affiliate link. Uh, and we would appreciate that because it helps support the creators that made those products and gives us a little bit uh, as well. So with that out of the way, let's move on. Okay, here we are. Meat and potatoes of the episode. Uh, look back at Dungeon Talk Episode 5. This episode was titled More Than Necessary. And this was in reference to your big topic, which was uh, how long to make a campaign. All right. But before we dive too deep, I like to kind of also do some meta stuff with these episodes and just kind of not review them, but talk about them in general. This one was interesting because Jared makes an appearance for anyone who has uh listened to some of the earlier episodes the rpg academy jared uh was a original there and then jared is also you know him from a catacon every year jared's one of the nicest guys yeah i know 
So he, it was good to hear his voice on this episode. I believe he was our first guest, right? Was that the first time we had? It was just wasn't just Evan and I. I think so, but he, I, I mean, I've had a conversation with Jared. Um, I'm look, I'm hoping to see him at a catacon again. He knows a lot about RPGs and can speak really intelligently about them. And not that, Michael, not that you and Evan weren't, <laughs> but in comparison, it man. was just, it was a, it was a good, it was like a fresh of, it was like a, a breath of fresh air. It was nice to hear him talk, especially because some of the topics you guys talked about. <laughs> so I may have agreed with Jared more. So but anyway, so uh, one of the things you and Jared had been part doing the D and D next play test, uh, mm-hmm. talk about going back in time. Um, but I, I did want to talk about that real quick because in that in the episode you talked about potentially going to Yada Quest, which was a local game store at the time, and they shut down and then reopened. But you guys ever go to Yada Quest to do uh, play the game? Yeah, so I actually did go to Yada Quest. Uh, the, my first actual play test of Fifth Edition was at the store, and I'm pretty sure we talk about it uh, later because we played Theater of the Mind, and that was Evan's first experience with it, and it really like struck him how much more he liked the game like that. Okay, and that was kind of the big impetus for us to move our our campaign, even if we played like 3.5, because we were still kind of doing that some to a Theater of the Mind game. And uh, that basically, I had played like that before. I, I'd gone back and forth throughout my career. You know, when I first started playing, we did some of each, that kind of thing. Uh, but really, it was after that first play test, which I guess probably will ha- maybe happen before the next episode of you know the Dungeon Talks, uh, where we actually played it, and it was just it was so much more fun. Uh, so I'm sure we talk about that because it's okay. a big memory for me. It's I I got a funny story about Yada Quest because Yada Quest was uh, anybody in Cincinnati listening to this a Yada Quest was a local staple in the gaming community. It was a much beloved game store, and it was so cool. All right, it was like it was such a cool game store, old building, and it was awesome. And when we were moving to Ohio, we were looking for neighborhoods to move into. Uh, we found the, our neighborhood now, and we were like, "It's close to my work. It was close to my wife's parents. It was we liked the that we really liked it." And then also. Yada Quest, a game store, was with, within walking distance of our house. But then literally as soon as – that was like one of the reasons we chose this neighborhood. We moved in. Two weeks later, Yada Quest announces they were closing. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So yeah. they- I actually have a, a small bone to pick with Yada Quest. Oh, yeah. Um, so a catacomb, right? Yeah. So I went to Yada Quest. I, I had went to Yada Quest multiple times. I've spent a lot of money in that store. Not – I mean, I know I definitely sound like a Karen here. Do you know how much money I spent in your store? But I have been a customer of theirs. I went to their magic nights. I, you know, I definitely was, I was someone they would recognize by sight. You know, they maybe don't know my name, but I was kind of a regular there. And I'm like, I'm trying to create this convention. Can I hang a poster that just, you know, just says, hey, this is going on. They wouldn't let me even put up a poster in their store. Not, not, they wouldn't give me money. They wouldn't give me merchandise. They would not let me hang up in a catacomb poster in their store. That's terrible. That was the last time I have ever gone to Yada Quest, and I will never go there again. Well, yeah. I thought that was terrible. Well, yeah, maybe maybe you did a curse, and that's why they closed. But no, they closed, just so everybody knows, it wasn't a sad thing. They closed because of family reason, like a, and then, then they reopened later. So they're open now. It's not in the same spot. It's in a strip mall somewhere. So... The owner wanted to find himself, and apparently he did, and he found himself needing to reopen the game He store. reopened the game <laughs> store. Okay. So anyway, so that was kind of the opening here, and then you guys dive into your first topic. All right. Setting a campaign 
length. This is one of the reasons you brought Jared on there uh, to kind of talk about this because he had some opinions about this. But uh, what I wanted to do was kind of break down this topic again. So Mm -hmm. setting a campaign length. Some an introduction question here, Michael. What's the longest campaign you've ever done, and how did it go? Being for so, that time period. So now that I've got an additional like eight years of playing under my belt, it's it might be uh, Dark Discovery, but again, it's part of that is it's, it's hard to say because are we talking about number of sessions or length of time? Because like you know, Dark yeah. Dark Discovery, we had breaks of sometimes weeks and months in between sessions so that game lasted like almost maybe two years but we only had like 20 sessions over those two years when i was a kid we played regularly but we would change campaigns all the time because we would get or i say we i got bored uh so we would play and then we you know want to change characters or someone else would dm and we never circle back to it but so i think and this is probably the same answer i gave then it was my group in cleveland with Rob and uh, Rich, who I've mentioned before, and Chad, James, and uh, or Jason and Jake uh, Gimmerick, uh, where we did the rotating DM thing, where we it was the same campaign, but we would take turns DMing. That's, if, as far as my memory goes, it's still the longest campaign I ever played in. And it also just died this time um, because I moved, if I remember correctly. I think that's when that one fell apart is because I moved. Uh, Way to go, Michael. You done messed things up for everyone. Was, yep. <clears throat> So Sorry. I, my so I have just done for the most part long campaigns since I've been playing. So we did I did two years going through the Horde of the Dragon Queen stuff. So both books, uh, and then we did a bunch of stuff. And then, but I think my longest campaign, it's a mix between Faith running Faith and then also Ghosts of Saltmarsh. We're now up to thirty nine episodes. Like, wow. yeah, that's that's crazy. So, but these Ghost of Saltmarsh has been going on for almost two years. So, and then Faith, or my the Faith science fiction RPG, uh, we did that for like uh, close to two years, and COVID destroyed that. Which I want to talk about that as far as campaigns. So, yeah, uh, would you say, Michael? Then, like for you personally, what what do you like? Long campaign, short campaign. So I, I still like the idea of the quote unquote forever campaign where yeah. you just start playing and you play until you've wrapped up this huge story, you know, like a one to 20 situation. But at this point in my life, I don't think that's a possibility for me. I just don't think it's even feasible to try. And I I kind of have some memories of this episode and I, I have not re-listened to it recently. Uh, this might've been where I kind of got the idea that you should set like an expected length before you start. Yes. And that's kind of what I've done with Shadow Spawns, which is the 13th age game that I'm running right now with Caleb, uh, Brad, and Lisa as my players, again, on our Twitch channel every other Tuesday. Like I had an ending in mind for that game before we ever started. And I don't know the exact length because it could vary, you know, because we don't get as far or that kind of thing. But there's a pretty hard, this is where it's going to end and it's probably going to be around this many sessions. And we even determined like how fast we would level based on the number of sessions so that we get to level 10, which is the highest level in that game, when we get to the ending. Um, So I I actually, at this point, I've come around to, I think when you go into a campaign, you should have a pretty good idea of how long it's going to last in in length of time, length of session. 
Yeah, for Ghost of Saltmarsh, we decided we're going to level 20. That's our end. Um, however many sessions it takes to get there. Uh, and then as soon as they hit level 20, we're going to finish out the campaign with an apocalyptic fight and just let them use all their big spells and stuff one time and then game <laughs> over. That's it. Uh, Done. Yeah, so no, I kind of... Uh, and I, yeah, I agree. I think it's a good idea to have. I, it's so tough because I say, like, that's how I used to. I used to play through the D and D modules, and that's obviously you have an end there. And then when we did Faith, um, I, I love that game. We basically it was we had the book, but we made our own sandbox world. But what we did was in our session zero, we we made a time. I know, right? Take a drink. We made a timeline for our campaign. Basically, we said, where do we want this thing to end? And they all said, we read through all the lore of the, the game, and they said, well, Earth is, nobody knows where Earth is. So we want the end of our campaign, our characters finding Earth. And then we just said, okay, however many sessions it takes, you guys are going to be moving the plot forward to find Earth. All right. And that was kind of our end. But then now I'm running Forbidden Lands, doing completely different. We have not done anything as far as end. We literally rolled characters, dropped them in the middle of the world, and said we're going to play until we play. We don't have a plot. We're just kind of going around, I guess, a true sandbox. And it's right. fun. It's different, though. So I, I was just thinking about this because we played last night. I was like, how long do we want to play this? till we get tired of it? I don't know. Yeah, I, I kind of think that's a little bit different of the type of game and the type of experience that you're looking for. And I know I've mentioned this several times on social media and other places, but I've been kind of just infatuated with the TV show alone. Have you watched this? At I've all? heard of it. That? Yeah, yeah. All right. So for anyone who's uh, who's uneducated, the the pitch is it's basically Survivor if Survivor was real. They take ten people who are trained survivalists, not just people like me who would die, <laughs> and they literally drop them off in the middle of nowhere, completely alone. They, there's no camera crew with them. They have to film themselves, and they try to survive. And it's last person standing. So in season one, it was 56 days. This this guy was out in the woods. He built a shelter. He was trapping and fishing and trying to hunt and living off berries. And, you know, these people literally descend what seems like into madness over this time because they're always talking to the camera. They're doing these confessionals. And so they don't drop them on the island and say, if you stay 60 days, you win. They say you stay until everyone else has gone home. So there is no end point by design in the show alone, which is, I kind of feel like Forbidden Lands is in that same vein. Yeah. It's, it's very much a survival game. So you play until your characters have reached a satisfactory conclusion or you as players have just got tired of yeah. that type of experience. I don't think Forbidden Lands would work as well if you said we're going to play 20 sessions. I think it works better and it kind of feeds into the theme of survival when you you don't know because the expectation is your characters are going to die because yeah. forbidden lands is very very deadly so not having an endpoint is kind of i think like in a meta sense more uh thematically appropriate for that game versus like a DD game or a cypher system where it's like okay you are going to go to mount doom we are going to say we got 20 roughly 20 sessions to do it let's, let's get there yeah that's interesting because i feel like we are having so much fun with it but i definitely feel like I could end this whenever we wanted to, and mm -hmm. we would all be satisfied because I feel like we've definitely we've done what we wanted to do. Where it's different when you're on a module or a game that you've said has an ending. Like if you cut it in the middle, there's like a sense of like we didn't do everything, like we missed the end. So right. 
the this is interesting. So the reason that Jared was on. Well, hold on, because I just want to finish that thought about the thing with Fridlands. Yeah. Is that like if I were to take a campaign, quote unquote, traditional campaign, and we were to stop in the middle, that would be very unsatisfying because the story was not told. But if you take Forbidden Lands and you just stop in the middle, there's the, our characters are still out there surviving. That's not an unsatisfactory ending for that type of game. It's actually hopeful that they're still out there. We could come back to them. Oh, yeah. That's actually a really good idea. Like, you just pick back, you pick back up whenever you feel like it. I feel like Forbidden Lands is definitely going to be one that we come back to. And I think for that reason, I feel like it's one that we can kind of take breaks from and then continue right back in. Yeah. So, so my apologies, please. No, continue. no, is but Jared, he was on because he was dealing with a little bit of campaign burnout. Okay. Uh in you know Jared's group, and I know Jared's group. They have a lot of great players and game masters in their regular group that meets. And I wanna I, I don't know like if the, his group back then was comprised of the same people, but he made it sound like it was. Basically, they had one person running the game and they'd been playing for like a year. But everybody in that game is a game master, and then everybody wanted to run. But they they hadn't finished the campaign yet. So they were kind of in this struggle, like, we want to do something new, but we don't want to end it. So this is where you kind of talked like, once again about the ro- rotating dungeon mm-hmm. masters. But I guess, how do, you de- how do you determine then how long a campaign will go? Like, to avoid burnout. Yeah, see, I think that's very individual. Um, as a DM, as long as I'm having fun, I'm doing it right, then I don't mind to keep going. But there are times where DMing becomes a job, it becomes stress. And I'm like, ah, I'm afraid that, you know, I haven't prepared enough, or I'm not ready, or I got, I know there's this big moment coming up, and I, I want to do it justice. And I'm afraid if I do it tonight, I'm just going to half ass it. And so then I get stressed, and then it becomes not fun. And sometimes I just, again, truly burn out. It's like, I just don't want to do this tonight. I would rather play. And, you know, for me personally, I find it hard to go back and forth. Uh, you know, if it's like a small like a one shot someone else runs, then that's different than if we're playing like a campaign. Like I run five sessions and then you're going to run five sessions. Okay. I'm going to run five sessions. As a as one of the GMs who's a player in one and GM in the other, I would find that difficult to navigate. Um, as a player, if I was a player in both, I don't know how I would feel. Maybe it would be totally fine. It's like, you know, I kind of do that with TV. I'll I'll binge like a full season of Alone, and then I'll watch a different show for a while. I don't watch like a one episode of Alone and then one episode of something else. Like, I'll do it in chunks. So I think as a player, it would be easier to navigate that story-wise. Like, I'm this character for a while, I'm this character for a while. But as a GM, I don't really like going back and forth consistently. I'd yeah. rather be my campaign and I get to play a couple sessions until I'm ready to DM again and then DM again. And and maybe that's just the arrogance of me thinking my game is the primary game and that this is secondary. It's lesser than. I don't know. But yeah, I don't I don't think I would like that to try to do it consistently that, yeah. that way. How do you avoid then what happens? What how do you all right, so situation. You're the dungeon master. You you said you're burned out. You're you're tired, whether it's the story. The system, you're just not feeling it. What do you do? Like you're in the middle of a campaign, you're burned out. What do you do? So ideally for me is I do let someone else run something that I get to play in, but it's limited in scope. It's like an actual one shot 
maybe of a new game system. Like that's part of the thing. Like someone else is going to learn the system and teach it to me and I get to play. I don't want to spend brain energy trying to learn a system too. Or maybe a system we already know of, but it's like, it's going to be a one shot, maybe like a three shot. Because I found one shots very rarely become one shots in my experience. They almost always become more unless it's a convention. And then, and this is going to sound, I'm sure I said almost the exact same thing then. I've said it before. It sounds arrogant. But anytime I play, no matter how much fun I have, I always come away going, I would have done that differently. Or that gives me an idea for how I could do something similar, but better, but similarly, you know? So the act of playing, even if it's fun, invigorates me and makes me want to DM again. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, For me, that's tough too. Like, I... (laughs) I don't know if I have a good answer for that because the the few times that I felt burnt out, I just kind of power through. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it's just like a funk, this part of the story. And I usually will find my legs again. I will say this. I have only ever done one campaign where like three sessions in, I realized this is going to be terrible. And it was planned <laughs> to be, it was going to be like 12 sessions. And that was, I decided that we were going to do temple of elemental evil okay Mm. the original but i had i picked it up at a yard sale and i was like you know what guys we're gonna do something a little different we always do these big story games and everything lots of role play let's do a big dungeon crawl and i got the realization a couple sessions in why me and my group do story games and not dungeon crawls because Mm. we just don't we it wasn't our jam but Right. What's bad about this was my players were actually loving it. All right. They were mm-hmm. they, they were digging it and I was hating it. So what I wound up doing was I basically skipped like three levels of the dungeon. Yeah. And just kind of yeah. like, mm-hmm. all right, now you're on this level. And we we pounded through that so fast. And then I think Jake made the comment. He's in that game. He made the comment like, he was like, wow, Tom, that, that, that went by a lot quicker than I thought. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it did. Now let's go do this next thing. Yeah. So so one might say that you as the dungeon master made an arbitrary decision about the outcome of a specific situation in effort to make the game more fun for you and your players. Yes. Okay. Okay. That might become relevant later. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I would say so. All right. Uh there's definitely a level of measurement that was uh, involved, though, in my decision. And it wasn't something that was just done on a whim in the mm-hmm. moment. All right. All right. But, but they opened a door, and according to the notes or the, the game that you had purchased, the adventure, there was supposed to be something on the other side of it. But you instead made it something else yeah. and cut out a large section of the middle because you thought that would be more fun for everybody. More fun for myself. Let's make that clear. Okay. 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 For yourself. Okay. Okay. All right. Fair fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So, all right. So, uh, yeah. So burnout, it's a total, it's a, it's a thing, but I guess, uh, I, I guess the, really the, the one question I wanted to ask you, Michael is, so with, with picking a end, all right, end of the, end of the campaign, is that something that I've done it with my players? We sat down, we picked the end. Is that something that you like to do? With your players, have you ever done that where you sat down like this is the campaign we're going to do and you tell the players, oh, this is the end? Uh, no, but sort of. So uh, let me explain. Okay. There's too much. Let me sum up. Uh, in, a, in a traditional game, no, I've never done that. I continue not to do that because the, the types of games that I run are generally mystery oriented. There's almost always an element of we don't yet know what exactly is happening and 
part of the fun for me as a game master is the players understanding, realizing, and coming to an understanding of what's actually going on. And I'm sure it's possible, but I am not competent enough to do both of those things where the players know more than the normal and then I can still also make it in a fun experience along the way. I don't feel comfortable doing that. But Action 12 Cinema, again, just for a quick second jumping in with that game, that game we do that. At the very beginning of the game, one of the first things you do is kind of set up the end of the game so everyone knows what you're building toward. Like we know the plot of our movie is that there are aliens from the future who are trying to turn people into slaves and we decide, okay, the end of the game is going to happen in this location. And then we all collectively work toward that throughout the higher improv elements of the game. So I am designing a game that in, intrinsically is that is part of it, but it's not something I've done in my other roleplay life. Nice. Yeah. The I wanted to ask also ask you, like, if you have the decision to be a part of a obviously now like time is always an issue of players but if you could be a part of a long-term campaign lasts a couple years is that something that you would still be interested in yes i would love that i just here because i i recently started a game um as a player we're actually streaming it on on twitch every other thursday and again we i think we mentioned this before i kind of threw out to the wilderness i want to i want to play an eberron game someone stepped up said i'll run one and now we started it but i even says like my schedule is so hectic that i can't really commit to a forever campaign so can we just say this is going to be like eight sessions roughly and then if we are everybody's on board we're enjoying it we want to keep going we can maybe continue it but i want it to have sort of a conclusion built in so that it could be a satisfying you know mini arc whatever and first game had a lot of fun looking forward to playing again i missed the session while i was on vacation but my schedule is just so hectic which is hard to say because i don't have a job like my job is now being a dad full-time yeah and, and again, I was a full-time dad and an employee before, but like this week, one of my kids has soccer camp. So every night I'm taking them to soccer camp. Next week, they have a different soccer camp, different time. They're in swimming right now. So every Monday through Friday, I'm getting up and I'm taking them to swim. And then there's vacation and there's this and there's that. So it's so hard for me to commit and not start missing all the time that I just, I don't think it's possible. As sad as that is, I would love it, but I just don't think it's in the cards for me. Oh, my kids are never going to join soccer or swim. <laughs> All right. Yeah, soccer, swim, baseball, Odyssey of the Mind. Uh, though there is actually a Pathfinder camp that's starting tonight, but they can't go tonight because I got something going on. But I'm probably going to take them uh. th- throughout the month of July, two week, two, two sessions a week. Uh, it's, it's a focus on like math and like, you know, team building and role play. But uh, I think they're going to sign up for that. So that's another thing I'll be taking them to for the month of July. There's this, we, we keep our kids busy. Yes. Yeah, I totally get it. And that's kind of what happens. Hopefully one day you can do that long running campaign. And um, it's something that everybody, everybody dreams of. A few people get. It'll be the, I'm in the retirement home and I, I'll pass away halfway through so i still won't get to do it i just guilt all my friends into playing with me so no i can yeah. make them like oh it's they're like tom quit being so manipulative and making me feel like you're my priority so so and i'll talk about this just it, it is a little bit odd so i moved again this isn't a secret everyone knows i'm now in, in kentucky um so right before covid really hit i had moved to where i was going to have to play remotely anyway 
because I'm completely separated from the group that I have been with. And to be honest, I'm just not super interested in like trying to find a group local. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I'm, it's much more rural. I'm like, there's no, like, like no one around me. Like I would have to like travel. So I'm like, okay, I'll just play virtually anyways. We're already doing it. It's not that big of a deal. But I, I think that's also a detriment in a way because I don't have a game group anymore. Like I don't have a, this is my group. I'm putting groups together for yeah. specific things. So like the Shadow Spawn game, we found three players who wanted to play it. And when that's done, whatever I decide to move to next, I'll kind of do the same thing. But I don't have Rocky and Michael and Jared and Brad uh, and, you know, Ryan who come to my house every week on Tuesday to do something. Yeah. And I, I think that's also a problem uh, for me trying to get into a long-term campaign. I just don't have a consistent group right now. Yep. I, I, I feel you. I feel you. So, all right. Uh, yeah. On that sad note that Mike will never play in a long-term game. Let's move on to our <laughs> next, our next topic. Okay. So this is, I feel like a conversation. I think we may have even already had this conversation. Oh, I've had this conversation a dozen. I don't know if we've had it like in the last in in this latest series of faculty meetings, but I want to talk about it now because this episode, you guys got into it. All right, I Jared was on one side, and you and Evan were on the other, and it was fantastic. So the topic was DM cheating. So I put cheating in quotation marks because all of you all agree this is not really cheating, okay? But what we're talking about is, is it okay to change the rules if the story is dependent upon it? All right. So Michael and Evan in this episode were so pro changing the rule, the roles, and Jared was so anti changing the roles where i fall into this category is that i used to change the roles but then i have i don't do that anymore because i found that i have more fun not doing it all right so but let's let's talk about this so michael just point blank we're going to open it up is it okay to change the role as the dungeon master absolutely 100 percent. oh my gosh yeah. okay all right and without so Question. okay it is okay so you still sound as militant now as you were then yep. so my question then all right so let's define some terms okay so what do, what is story depends on it what well, does it even mean see i actually have a problem with with that phrase there now i wouldn't even caveat it that way i would just say is it okay for the dm to ignore a dice roll yes it doesn't have to be story dependent. It just has to be what the DM feels like is the right oh, choice at that time. So you're even worse now. Okay. All right. So, so, all right, here's my question. So uh, what gives the DM the right to decide this is in the best interest of my players? The fact that you agreed to play a game with me as the DM. That's part of the social contract. Okay. Part of that is that you're going to create a character that fits into the campaign. We're going to have a session zero, take a drink that works with the other players that you're going to be invested in the story, whatever it is. And you're going to come to the table ready to try to have fun and interact in this world that I'm, I'm not creating, but I'm sort of facilitating. Okay. And, and the other side of that social contract is I'm going to do my best to provide you with experiences that will be fun. And that comes from, do you fight two ogres or three? 
is this going to be a dungeon crawl night or is this going to be the 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 ball where we have the barbarian try to dress up in a ball gown because that's always a fun time is this going to be a heist is this going to be a murder mystery i'm i'm going to make decisions based off of everything i know to this point the game we're playing the characters you're playing the backgrounds you have the npcs we've already started with everything when I sit down to, to plan the session, I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to take this monster because I think it'll be fun. I'm going to have this NPC because I think it'll be fun. I'm going to use this riddle because I think it'll be fun. And every decision I make is based on, will this make the game more fun? But I'm making these decisions in a vacuum based on what I think will happen. Why then does it make any sense that once we're actually in the game and I now have more information that I cannot make any changes to anything I had planned beforehand. Okay. All right. Before we answer that, though, I want to ask you then. So you. So this would, this would be a great place if we had a sponsor for this episode to drop in like an advertising, yeah. like Dinnerly or, or uh, Hello Fresh. Before we answer that, yes. Use a, use a promo code the RPG Academy Cheats uh, at checkout. Yeah, free shipping on your first three orders. So the so all right. So yeah. So you've you've said this, but now I want you to give us an example. Up. Okay. When would you change the role? Very rarely, actually. Okay. Well, I didn't For ask someone... you how often. Give me an example of it. Okay. So when would I change the role? I have a monster that I have modified so it has a special power because this monster is part of a organization, a group, a cult, a magical thing, and. I think it's important that this ability be shown to the party because it has a story implement that, okay, this is supposed to be an ogre, but yet it was able to turn invisible. So then we're in the game. I'm rolling an attack. When this creature hits, that's when this power is activated. I rolled a nine. I needed it to be a 12. It's almost going to, it's going to die next turn. I'm going to say that's a 12. I'm going to say it hits. Not going to do enough damage to kill anybody, so I'm not taking out a character with this attack, but I'm going to allow it to hit. I'm going to allow it to show off this power, this ability, this thing, because I want the players to see it happen in the game because, again, it, it sets up like, oh, this this ogre is special. This ogre is infected, is, is in, I don't know, possessed, whatever the case may be. I'm going to change that 9 to a 12 so that... I get to show off that cool power that I developed. I, I reskinned. I, I've, I'm so excited that I get to that everyone gets to see this thing before it dies next turn because I underestimated my part my party's abilities. So that is the time when I would change the role. Okay. So I'm not going to try to. This is not me trying to convince you that you're wrong because all right, I'm not going to try to do that because I know that as always, folks. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. Okay. But so I, I'm gonna just gonna throw out a suggestion of how I would do that differently. Okay, so I've got this ogre. It's got this special power. Okay, is this a power that is like in the book, or is this is something that you have added as like I've added? Okay, so this is already all right. We're outside of the rules at this point, which is okay because it's the DM has the abilities to reskin monsters, add abilities. That's part of the that's that's what we know of the DM. All right. So since it's already we're outside of that, I would say if you want it to succeed, why even roll? Just just make it just make it happen. Well, that's what I did though. I made it happen. I know, but why'd you even roll? Because I might have 
rolled high enough and I didn't need to make that arbitrary decision. I, I, but then, okay, I guess then you just get to feel better about yourself that you, that you didn't have to, that you didn't. Well, I, it's not just like I feel better about myself, but it's just like, maybe, you know, it's like, if, if I don't have to do that, then I won't. But if I have to, I will. So here's, so I, this is where I. Because I might've rolled a 12 and then. Succeeded. Yeah, I succeeded. So this is, um, so what I've kind of, because I, I used to do that, uh, and but now what I do is, as the dungeon master, I don't ever roll the dice if there's something that I want to happen. I just make it happen. All right, right. and I I understand that, but here's the the counterpoint to that. I don't want the players to know that I wanted that to happen. I want them to think that was the natural order of things. And so if I roll, and then I'm like, oh, it hit. And now it does the special flower bloom thing that feels different in the player's seat than you just saying this happens. Okay. All right. Even though one of them I'm definitely using DM Fiat, it doesn't feel like it. Okay. When you do it, it very much feels like it. And there's nothing wrong with it, but I think it feels different at the table. And I want to preserve the illusion of this is not what was supposed to happen. It is what happened. Okay. So, okay. So there's two, two things here. This first, I want to finish out this conversation. Okay. So the, you're basically, I, yeah, I definitely see what you're saying here. We definitely run two different styles of games. You're it's very, yours is very much the players interacting with the world. And that's, that's, there's a, that's a lot of fun, but the way my games that I run, it's definitely, I like to consider myself more as a player when I'm in the dungeon master seat and it's very much more collaborative and we do a lot more meta narrative at the table. So we're like talking about like, Oh, it would be cool if this shopkeeper did this or something like that. So we're kind of, it's more of like, think like a writer's room. Okay. So I get that, but that kind of makes sense. All right. But let's talk about then just, uh, this is tough. I think it, it really applies to D and D modifying the roles. All right. Because it's like everybody sits down at the table with the understanding, like these are the rules. They, these are this is how it is, how it's how it's written. Like it's when I I'm I've got a goblin running at one of the players, and the player has two hit points left. The goblin hits, rolls his one d six, and he's gonna he hits the players. So that's the rule. That's the rules. Like. Why can you change the rules? Uh, well, because in D&D, it specifically says the DM can change the rules. Does well, it? Yeah, there there is a rule that, in the game that says the DM can make uh, any changes to the rules they want. Okay. So basically, it's like a circle logic thing where I can't break the rules because the rules allow me to break them. But but here's the thing that, that usually these boil down to very contentious, like, you know, left versus right sort of situations where I, there's probably bad faith arguments on both sides. Yeah. As someone who's 100% pro fudge, no qualms at all about doing it, I almost never do it. Yeah. So it's not like I'm like, I have a vision for the story and I'm going to make sure it happens. That is absolutely not what I'm doing. In the specific moment where I call for a role, sometimes I will think, I think this would be a better result now. And that's, you know, that's, that's always my argument to the, why don't you just write a book thing? Cause I don't have a plot. I don't have a story I'm trying to get to, but in this specific moment, as I'm saying, Hey, go ahead and roll that. Then I'm like, Oh wait, 
you know, maybe if I was smarter, I wouldn't have to do that because I would be more like you and I would just say, this happens. But sometimes I'm just like, okay, well, let's roll that. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, actually, I would rather this make sure this happens. So, so there's like a two second disconnect between me asking for a role or deciding to roll before the realization of I actually have a preferred outcome. It mm. wasn't like I sat down at the table at five o'clock knowing that by 10 o'clock X, Y, and Z would happen. I have no idea what's going to happen in most of my sessions. I do very little prep. I do a lot more situational improv. So I can't just decide what's going to happen before we sit down. But in the moment, there are times where I think I do have the better uh, outcome than the dice. And I think that, you know, that's to me, that's the reason why I'm there. And this isn't just a computer program because I do have the ability and the authority, I would say responsibility to make certain changes if I think it helps the overall game. And that could be because Tom's having a bad night. I want to make sure Tom is the one who kills this ogre. So even though it only has three hit points left, when when John hits it and does seven, it's still alive. It, it now magically had eight, not seven, because there's I want Tom to be the one to kill it. And maybe it still doesn't happen. Maybe we go around the initiative again, and it's your turn, and you miss again. And now it, it's got to the point of absurdity. I can't keep doing that because it doesn't make sense. So, so you still don't get the kill. But I'll give you an extra. I'll give you an extra shot. Maybe I want the ogre to get off its special attack just because I think it's cool. So even though it, I rolled a nine, I say I rolled a twelve. To me, those are no different than three ogres or two ogres, five ogres or one ogre, or you know. we we, there's an entire there's three levels in this dungeon but because of the time of night we skipped an entire second level when you open the door it was supposed to be a stairway down instead it's it's a doorway to the last boss because i think it would be more satisfying for us to end on that cliffhanger of the reveal of it was you all along and then we cut to next week then oh it's just another stairway leading down to me every one of those things are exactly the same purview of the dm what monsters I choose, how many hit points I give them, do I give them special abilities, do I reskin them, do I reflavor them, do I occasionally fudge a die? Those are all equal to me in the job of the DM. Ooh, we All right, that's a lot to unpack, and I don't think we have a lot of time today, but I, I, I definitely, I want to leave it as, uh, how, how dare you, Michael, <laughs> assume that you can be, you can control my player agency. If I want to have a bad day, you let me have my bad day. You're, I'm just thinking about Loki now, just by uh, watching Loki. I love like, Loki. How, so how dare you? You're like the you're like the timekeepers. Just let us live our lives. So because we'll leave it there. There's so much to talk about because I'm a hundred percent positive that this is gonna come up again. Oh right? yeah, again and again and again. Yes, I'm also. I'll leave it. I I am so fundamentally different than Michael in the sense that I don't even use a dm screen anymore i am in the open i am i'm ready to go i'm i i bear it all for my players you know in in a sense so for me though and i'll say even like even if i don't fudge because like i said i almost never do it i just have no qualms if i do it there's a fundamental part of the game that i love when i roll the die and i see what the number is and then there's like a one or two second beat where i'm like what does that mean? Like, you know, it's like, okay, how, how am I going to describe this? How does this change the story? How does this change the battle? And I love, there's that, I love that moment. I roll it and I'm like, and there's a moment where I go, okay. And I look up and there's a smile on my face because I now get to describe what's happening. So I don't want to lose that. Even if I never fudged another die in my life, I would always roll behind the screen because I love that moment of, Ah, okay. okay. 
I d- yeah. oh, I gotta love that. Live for that moment. So I was still not rolling the open, even if I even if I was never going to fudge. And I'm a big believer that you can't let people know you're doing it. And I and and I think that's what this comes down to. People who are like, I don't, I don't want you to do it. Well, if you don't know I did it, then I technically didn't do it. So if you do it well, it's okay. But if you're, it's you do it poorly, it's bad. It really is bad. I have been on the receiving end of of an obvious fudge in my favor. In a my character should be dead, but now I'm not, and it's obvious that you did it. And I kind of feel like I don't want to play this character anymore. I completely agree that when you're on the player side, if it's done poorly. It's bad, but I think it's just like a magic show. If I don't see where you put the red ball, then I'm excited. Even though I know you didn't actually break the laws of physics, you didn't go into the fourth dimension, you, you just palmed it or you did this other trick. As long as I'm entertained by the trick, I'm in it. But if I see you doing it, it's bad. And okay. that's, I feel like I'm good at it. Okay. We'll, we'll 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 leave it there. We'll leave it okay. there. Michael Michael thinks Michael thinks very highly of himself. No, and I I I, I kid. I say I just say this all in tongue in cheek. I I definitely think like certain systems definitely lend itself more towards fudging, such as D and D, which you you play a lot of that or yep. have. So and I don't necessarily other than Ghost of Salt Marsh, I really don't play D and D. So, uh, which other systems don't lend itself, which I play those systems that don't lend itself really to right. fudging. So I think that I'm, I'm coming at it from that angle well, too. And again, I don't want to extend this forever because we can touch on later, but there are other games that give both the GM and the player resources specifically to modify those types of roles. Like you have, I can re-roll this. I can, mm-hmm. I can make this roll instead of needing a 15, now I only need a 10. So Games that have built in these resources that let you modify or change, you know, the 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 possibilities, then they don't need that type of finagling because you can do it. Like, I'm going to spend my DM chip that I get one per game that I don't have to roll this. But in D&D, they don't necessarily have that. So that you kind of give it to yourself by saying, I'll change it if I want to. You know, or games like Cypher System where, where the DM doesn't roll. I can't fudge. If I never roll the die, but I can manipulate other dials to try to make those outcomes happen. Again, my argument is that those are all equal to me. Okay. Anyway, moving on. All right. Well, uh, yeah, let us know on Twitter or shoot us an email or join our Discord. You can ask us for that. Uh, If you want to talk about this, we'd love to hear about your uh, long campaigns, short campaigns, how they went. Did you get burned out? And then also... Tell us if you agree with Fudgy Nice. So, anyway, uh, you can find, you can hit me up on Twitter at Vezcar Tom. Yes, it's Mandalorian Metal uh, Tom on Twitter. And you can find Michael, obviously, at the RPG Academy. Everywhere, right? Everywhere. Okay. Uh, and it's only me. If you find anyone else, let me know because that happened twice in the last month and I about lost my he'll, mind. He'll hunt him down. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, any final thoughts before you wrap this up? Uh, just again, once again, thank you so much for doing this. I'm super excited to get back to faculty meetings. It's really fun to also do it specifically through this lens of looking back at these older episodes. And again, Tom takes it on himself. He listens to the old episode. He puts together an outline. He gets the news portion. Uh, so this, Tom is doing all the heavy lifting when it comes to these faculty meetings. So I really appreciate that. And just a quick shout out to Grant as well. You know, he's putting these DM spotlights together. Um, I think it's super cool. I think the show is back in the full form when we were at our highest high. And I hope that we move back in that direction. And I want to thank you for that. 
Yes, uh, I appreciate it. It's so funny. I was really glad when I got to this episode because I've been trying to find an episode where Michael has changed. Like, has he changed his idea? And you changed. You got worse. So anyway. All right. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll leave it at that. I enjoy doing these. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you, sir. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Uh, uh, well, you can't. You, you, we we got to close with oh, our saying. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, man, Michael. You're, you're off for him today. I am, you just got I'm, off. You're, you're still on vacation time. I, I, I definitely am. I'm still in vacation mode. So, Tom, but before we go, we'd like to take a moment opportunity to just always, as we always do, we never forget this. Never. If you're having fun. You're doing it right. That is correct. So, with that, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook or join our Discord where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.